Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Yeah, there's been a ton of new activity on Solana. There's a lot of new capital. So if you look at the bridging patterns and things like that, there's a ton of new activity coming into the space. There's a ton of super high quality projects that have been grinding basically since like the middle of last year. And, you know, I think a lot what happened with all the FTX stuff that really sucked for everyone, but there's a lot of teams that kind of just kept grinding and building. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two clones. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate problem. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. GM. Next, we've got Tarun, the gigabrain and grand poobah at Gauntlet. Aloha. And it does look like I'm almost in Hawaii today, although I'm not in Hawaii. Great. <laughs> and we've got Lucas, a special guest, the CEO and Solana savant at Gito Labs. <laughs> nice. I like that. Welcome, Thanks for Lucas. having me on. Excited to be here. And I'm Haseeb, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. So we've been off for a couple weeks. Uh, we're coming back in the swing of things now at the end of the year. We just had our end of year review, but it turns out it was a little bit premature because the end of the year was not quite the end of the year. There was a lot more year to go. Um, and it turned out that in the last couple of weeks, one of the most notable things that happened is there's been a crazy bull run in alt L1s and most notably in Solana. Solana, I think when we were talking, when we were doing the end of year review, Solana was at $60, $70. It is now over $100. The entire network is over $50 billion in FTV. Uh, I think it's like 60 billion FTV. Market cap is like in the 50-ish billion. And uh, it's, basically, it's, it's near, I think it's now number four asset on coin market cap. Uh, cementing itself now as being the predominant non-Ethereum smart contract platform. So as the as the guest for the show, we thought we'd bring on Lucas. So Lucas is known on Twitter as Buffalo. Is that how you pronounce it? Buffalo? Buffalo. 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 <laughs> uh, so uh, Lucas is known as wait, Buffalo. Wait, wait, wait. And can he's... We, can, we, can we get the etymology? Like what, what's the story behind the name? Oh, probably not appropriate for this podcast. It's... Maybe if... Uh... If someone takes me out to drinks or something, someone can get the full story. <laughs> okay. I have a lot of trouble imagining now how that story uh, goes, but okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, so one of the reasons why we brought on Lucas is that in his Twitter alter ego, Buffalo, he's, he's one of these guys who I'd call like the Solana reply guys that anytime anybody is talking about Solana, him or Mert or Anatoly will show up and be like, no, 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 you guys, you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's the lowdown of how Solana really works. But unlike some of the other characters out there, Lucas really knows his shit. So he's the founder of Gito. Uh, and so Lucas, why don't you explain for our audience really quickly, what the hell is Gito and why does it matter in the context of Solana? Yeah, Gito is a Solana MEV infrastructure provider and basically trying to mitigate the uh, negative impact of MEV on Solana, specifically uh, spam and wasted block space. And so, you know, I think a lot of people or a lot of chains have this issue that are high throughput, um, low fee chains where you just have a lot of arbitrage. Um, you know, if there's like little micro arbitrages, then um, it, it's going to take up a lot of block space. So Gita tries to build infrastructure to efficiently extract the MEV and try to kind of save some of the block space for users and some of the good bots on the network that are trying to make markets and things like that. So a while back, we had on Phil Diane, who's one of the co-founders of Flashbots. 
which is the Ethereum version of, of what you guys are building. How would you compare what you guys are building on Solana to Flashbots, which is the Ethereum counterpart? Yeah, so Solana, the main difference is speed on Solana. I think that's pretty obvious. So uh, Ethereum, you know, there's 12 second block time, um, 12 or 13 seconds, and the throughput's way lower. Solana, it's 400 millisecond block times. Um, the, the leader's bouncing across the world all over the place. So the the systems that we run are very high performance, very latency sensitive. Um, you know, multiple locations around the world. I think I don't know if people on um, PBS do that. So that's kind of the main difference from like a super like macro level. When you like start to dig into the weeds a little bit, the architecture looks a little different. So on PBS, they're building entire blocks on. Uh, Gito block engine, we're building pieces of blocks, essentially bundles. So the unit that we're operating on is a little different than PBS. Um, and yeah, there's like the, the transaction flow is a little different, which uh, we can dive into. So I want to be mindful. A lot of our audience uh, is non-technical and a lot of our audience probably, you know, they've heard these words before, maybe one place or another, but maybe a little bit hazy in their minds from the last time they heard a, it's kind of alphabet soup of different MEV related <laughs> things. Yeah. So, so, so just very briefly, I would love if you could quickly explain just for our audience one more time, what is MEV? Mm -hmm. How does it figure into Solana? And why does the fact that Solana is fast matter for making this problem different or harder or easier? Yeah. So MEV it stands for maximum extractable value. And essentially it's the, value that block producers can extract or like, you know, make by determining the ordering of transactions in their block. So, you know, I guess for maybe for people in the audience, you know, there's some networks with validators, some with miners, you can basically just think of them as the person who's collecting all these transactions, figuring out the ordering of them, proposing them to the rest of the network. The rest of the network kind of takes these blocks looks at them, it replays all the transactions, they come to consensus on the state. And when you're a block producer, you are the one who's determining the ordering of transactions. Um, so MEV is basically, you can think of it like a building more efficient blocks and more profitable blocks. So some networks like Ethereum before Flashbots, it was a, um, I think it was, what is it? Priority gas and then time auction. So you have this mempool, you have all these transactions. At the very top of the block, you have the transactions that pay the highest gas and then kind of lower as it goes. Solana, it's a little different. There's a Solana's a continuous block stream. So the leaders are processing these transactions live and sending them out to the rest of the network. Everything else is replaying it live. And also... Um, there's no uh, there's no mempool built into the Solana protocol like there is Ethereum, so transactions are going straight to the leader, and the leader is kind of prioritizing them. So with the introduction of MEV, you're essentially the validators and miners and things like that on the network that are producing these blocks are somewhat outsourcing the construction of either the entire block or pieces of it to different parties that can run more optimized algorithms to make more money for validators and stakers. So just, just to make sure I, I understand the details there. So in, in Ethereum, uh, nothing actually gets propagated to everybody. Nothing actually gets confirmed as state until it's packaged up in a complete block. And those blocks happen every 12 seconds, more or less on the dot now with proof of stake. Um, in Solana, that's not how it works. In Solana, it's almost like streaming block production where yeah. it's sort of like we call them blocks for the purposes of consensus, but really, you know, transactions as they're getting sent to the leader and the leader is the leader for like, you know, some number of epics or whatever. I don't know how long an epic is. I don't know, maybe let's say some number of seconds, a, a, lot, of, a lot of blocks when the block time is like 400 milliseconds. Uh, pieces of blocks, or I guess what are called shreds in Solana, mm -hmm. they get confirmed and streamed out even though the entire block is not done yet. It's like, okay, well, the first five people in this block are these guys, and then the next five are these guys, and the next five are these guys. And so in a system like that, where it's basically streaming as opposed to these all-in-one block containers, doesn't that make MEV just totally different? 
in a system like yeah. that? Yeah, it's super hard. It's it's much different than Ethereum. Um, so every leader on Solana, every slot, which is basically like uh, a window that you can produce a block in, is 400 milliseconds. Leaders have uh, multiples of four consecutive slots. So a leader will have four 400 millisecond slots or 1.6 seconds. And then it'll, you know, that leader is in Germany. The next second, next 1.6 seconds will be in Tokyo. And you could be in California. It's kind of just like bouncing all across the world. And then also you have um, the streaming part, which you were mentioning. It's kind of like the video stream that we're talking on right now. Uh, where Ethereum, it's kind of like choppy and, you know, it's you're sending the entire block at once. The Solana leaders are actually streaming the blocks out. So it's basically like a fire hose of um, shreds that are going out, which are essentially reconstructed on the fly by every other validator and RPC on the network. They're replaying it and so on. And so the MEV game is definitely way different. I guess one of the main differences is that uh, latency matters a lot more, where the the blocks are streaming out so you can actually you're replaying stuff live and you can you can actually the leader can process a transaction send out the shreds your node can replay them and you can fire off a transaction and land later within the same slot so it's um you know compared to ethereum where you kind of have this like 12 second pause and you are basically trying you know you'll kind of see this on like pbs where the bids kind of ramp up closer to the end where people are kind of waiting until the last second to send their trades. Um, maybe I'm getting too far in the weeds here, but uh, it's basically the, the the latency matters a lot more on Solana. And I'm curious actually about, so I think there, there's a lot obviously about the consensus and block building process specifically between different between Ethereum and Solana. Um, I'm, I'm curious in particular about the difference is in architecture that you've chosen between Gito and, and Flashbots. Um, Mm-hmm. As sort of a, a brief recap and, and summary, um, Flashbots uh, makes this software that boost. People run uh, relays, which are sort of this this matching um, auction exchange that match people who want to buy block space with people who are producing block space or validators. Um, and there's a bunch of these different relayers. Flashbots runs one. Blocks right ones run uh, a couple different you know SaaS companies run them. Um, but they sort of make this software and people use it. And, um, and you know you, you can sort of it's a very sort of general unopinionated uh piece of software geo i would say is much more sort of appley um in that you guys have your own liquid staking token um you i think went uh, open source um somewhat somewhat more recently um i think you guys have your own uh relay and i imagine that that's the, like most of the volumes going to your own relay and it feels like more of a clean vertically integrated sort of polished experience how do you sort of think about those different design choices between um with flashbots and 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 Gito? yeah so i think Solana MEV is kind of in the first inning. And I think our infrastructure is maybe more similar to Mevgeth. So before proposer builder separation, all this stuff, Flashbots created a fork of the Go Ethereum client called uh, Mevgeth. And they were kind of the, the only auctioneer. Basically, there I don't think there was... Um, they were kind of the block builder and the relayer. So basically, they were aggregating order flow and doing the simulation and... Um, they might have been sending bundles at first and then moved to full blocks as kind of a stepping stone to BBS. I think Gito is kind of in the same state right now. So Gito created um, the Gito Solana Validator client, and there's the Gito block engine. And it's it's kind of similar to like the early days of MEV on Ethereum. So um, Gito runs the auctions. Um, we have a in-house simulator that our engineering team has built that kind of uh, does a bunch of crazy simulation to filter through all the bundles and whatnot. And then the unit of operation for us is bundles. So we're kind of sending bundles to the Gita Solana leaders when they're up, similar to like the early days. I think that will evolve over time. There's a lot of protocol changes that are coming to Solana. Um, you know, there's like fired answers coming. Um, there's a lot of talk on like bankless leaders where basically the leaders aren't actually executing the transactions. They're kind of just like packing blocks. There's like asynchronous execution. There's all this crazy stuff that's coming. And, you know, it's like, do we, there's a lot of questions in my mind, like what, what are we building for? And like, on like a multi-year time horizon. 
I don't know if it'll look exactly like PBS and like Suave and all that stuff. Um, I don't think that architecture makes sense on Solana, but um, it's definitely not the end state in the current form. So right now, uh, what is the percentage of validators or uh, leaders who are running the Gito client? Yeah, so there's currently 47% of the Solana stake running the Gito client. And this is like large institutions like Coinbase, Figment, P2P, to um, in like staking facilities to like, you know, kids and like small businesses Mm. that are running it. Super easy to run. Right. 47% 47% of stake, 300 validators, or almost 400 validators. So a natural question, you know, if you look at the trajectory of Flashbots, Flashbots started kind of running the only auction by themselves and standing in the middle of Ethereum infrastructure. And they were criticized pretty roundly as being like, hey, why do we have one company that's kind of sitting as an intermediary to this, this protocol? Um, and eventually they moved away and kind of decentralized the the relay such that uh, Flashbus is only running one of many relays. Now, I can imagine that perhaps someday in the future you guys foresee the same thing. That you know, maybe there are going to be multiple different uh, relays or auctioneers um, yeah. sitting uh, uh, besides yourselves. That said, given the latency differences between Ethereum and Solana, one of the common critiques that Solana gets is because of the relentless uh, latency sensitivity of Solana because of the fact that not only are there these 400 millisecond slots, but you have the streaming of blocks and, and the fact that, you know, the, the leaders are moving from jurisdiction to jurisdiction really quickly. There, there's so much of a centralizing force in whoever is the fastest, whoever has the best infra, whoever has the, the best software to run this auction is going to get overwhelmingly uh, an advantage over other people who aren't running at the same scale or with the same level of professionalism. So do you see that as a concern uh, that even if you do try to nominally decentralize and say, okay, well, anybody can run an auction. Here's like the, the, the you know, the format, RPC uh, format, whatever to do it, that uh, you sort of end up in the situation where one party, maybe yourselves, just de facto are the auctioneers for all Solana block space. Potentially, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Solana protocol kind of evolves and like all the things are, I was mentioning earlier. I think that, the way that our auction is currently designed, you don't really have those forces yet where we are, uh, the Gito block engine is kind of running. It's kind of like somewhat discretizing these auctions into what today is currently 200 millisecond auction windows. So that's like enough for basically someone in like, someone in like New York could potentially be competitive in an auction in like Tokyo or something. And then we have services like Shredstream, which basically provides low latency shreds to anyone that signs up from all these leaders that are running this code and kind of like democratizing access to the, the shreds and low latency feeds. So in the current sense, it's not necessarily that much of a problem. I think it'll be interesting to see how the protocol evolves. And yeah, I mean, I think it is worth something keeping an eye out. I think some of the, some of the sexes and like uh, or centralized exchanges in like Tokyo and other places it can certainly, they certainly have the potential to be like large forces of gravity where there's like a lot of sex decks are, and, you know, those people are making a lot of money and, you know, state kind of starts to congregate around there. I think, you know, Gito has four block engines hoping to spin up six, seven, eight in like Q1 of next year, kind of separate stuff out, move it a, across the world and decentralize it a little bit. So just just to build the intuition here, um, if Gito, let's say, let's, say, let's say your guys' servers go down, you forget to pay the AWS bill or whatever, what yeah. happens to Solana block building? So the, that's actually a pretty cool thing where like the network will continue to operate as normal. There's basically these things that we call relayers, not to be confused with Flashbot relayers. They're kind of like transaction forwarders and the validators, when they start Gito Solana, they connect to these transaction forwarders and uh, anyone can run forwarders. Gito Labs runs a few. Some of the validators are operating their own. And basically, it's kind of like a transaction forwarder that will kind of send transactions to the block engine. And the block engine is really only sending bundles to the validators. So if our block engine goes down, unfortunately it happens sometimes. Uh, I got paged at like one in the morning yesterday because it went down, had to uh, debug some stuff, but uh, like the network keeps going as normal. 
Uh, the functionality that you lose is basically the ability to send bundles. So um, we're not like, you know, we're pretty important to the network in reducing spam and trying to atomically capture MEV versus it kind of going to like the spam game. But we're not so critical in the sense that if like we forget to pay a bill or there's a bug or something, then the then like network stops working. There's also like a lot of like right. heartbeats between all these pieces. Um, so there's like 500 millisecond heartbeats and, you know, health checks and all this stuff. And I've thought about this a lot to where, uh, you know, if something bad happens, then the the validator will kind of disconnect from everything and like revert to normal settings and the normal transaction processing. And the, the way that our bundles work, it currently runs in parallel to the normal transaction processing code. So, um, yeah. Got it. Okay, so let's zoom out a bit from the, the micro details of GTO and let's talk about your airdrop because your airdrop I think is probably one of the legendary airdrops in crypto history at this point. It, it's analogous in my mind to what the compound airdrop was or not the compound airdrop, but rather with the liquidity mining on compound, where it was the, it was sort of the, it was the moment that kicked off DeFi summer. And into my, in my mind, the Gito airdrop has kind of been the thing that brought Solana out of the ice age and reanimated a lot of the animal spirits and the, um, the excitement around Solana. So why don't you walk us through what happened with the Gito airdrop? Uh, what, what, what was your guys' experience of it? And, uh, what do you think went well or went poorly in what what is now being called the Gito stimulus check? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool to see how many people are excited about participating in Gito governance. I think there's a lot of excitement around Solana right now. Um, there's been a ton of increased activity and um, interest level in Gito, but also other Solana protocols that are kind of like pre-governance token. And so... It's really cool to kind of uh, somewhat like participate in that. I think the uh, like you know the, the foundation did the the Gito Foundation did the airdrop. I think like my personal opinion is that I think it went pretty well. I think if you want to, there's definitely like a relatively small number compared to some of the other protocols that you're seeing, and um, you know I think the game has definitely changed on Solana. <laughs> in the past, uh, like, what is it? Three weeks or something to where I mm -hmm. think, uh, like you probably can't do what the Gito foundation did. Um, but I think that it went pretty well. And if you, you want to meet a lot because of people, of the rise of Sybils and inorganic behavior, yeah, I assume yeah. what you're referring to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah, if you want to, I think you have to be careful because there's a lot of people that, are not necessarily long-term aligned with protocols. And so you have to be even more careful now that there's a lot more attention on Solana. Right. So just high-level numbers for the audience. So the, 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 the airdrop was in early December. It was at present prices uh, over $200 million worth of GTO to over 11,000 addresses on Solana. Um, you know, many people got tens of thousands of dollars in, in airdrop checks. And uh, it, it, it has, it has created a huge amount of airdrop farming and the kind of uh, anticipation of what's the next airdrop going to be. The, there's excitement around Jupiter, around uh, uh, what are some of the other uh, products on Solana yeah, that are now getting a lot Drift, more. Camino. Right, right. A lot yeah. of anticipation now for, okay, what's the next airdrop going to be? And is the scale going to match what people saw with Gito? So I, I think one thing that might be worth pointing out to listeners is is how Solana airdrops in this cycle sort of differ quite a bit from Ethereum airdrops historically. Um, I think the, the, the notion of kind of point systems where people have to interact with protocols and you don't exactly know what the distribution will be. And you, you know, there's more of this like ga almost game-like aspect to how airdrops work now. I, I give the Solana ecosystem probably personally like most of the credit for really pushing that forward. I think in Ethereum, people's kind of still stick a little closer to passive uh, liquidity-based incentives. So it would be great to hear about like how you thought through this point system, how you kind of view it evolving, and sort of how you view the importance of these point systems within the ecosystem. 
Yeah, I, I think points offer, there's a lot of protocols that are doing points now in Solana. Um, so I think Tensor might have been the first one, or maybe MarginFi. There were some Jito points for a while. We're seeing, I think, Camino has points now, or they will soon. Uh, Parcel has points. Um, I think it's a it's a good opportunity to kind of experiment with mechanism design and um, kind of see how to like how do you kind of quantify people's contributions to a protocol. So like, I think for, for a lot of protocols, it might be like TVL times time. Maybe there's certain, certain things that you want to incentivize more because your protocol makes more money on it. Maybe it's like volume or something like that. So I think it's kind of a, it's an interesting opportunity to kind of like play around with things and kind of see what people do. And I think we'll see more of it. We're already kind of seeing this on some Ethereum protocols. Like I know, uh, I think doesn't Eigenlayer, do they have points right now? Yeah. Um, they have like a billion dollars of TVL with points. Um, saying like, I think I saw something with Rainbow Wallet the other day. Rainbow Wallet's making a ton of money with points. So I think it's, you know, you can kind of, it's kind of like a playground that you can experiment in and see what people do with different kind of like, with the leaderboard basically. Yeah, I guess a question I have is like, you know, why why do you think that point systems took off on Solana versus elsewhere? Because I do think there is some level of, hey, it's actually quite a bit more sophisticated. So we have to have like a more complex set of contracts. Maybe that's the reason or, you, you know, like there's clearly something that I think in the last six months is the reason that the gestation of this kind of idea worked much better in Solana. Uh, yeah. and, and of course it gets copied, but I'm curious, like what, what, what do you think the things were that like led to that? Who, who was the first protocol that created points? Was it blur? It okay. was blur. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's easy to see why people are doing it. If you look at protocols that implemented points kind of before and after you can kind of see what's going on. I think it's easy to look at other protocols and like kind of look at it before and after points and you see the growth. Um, like I know, or I guess Tensor and MarginFi were kind of the early ones in Solana and you look at the growth in MarginFi and then you kind of look to see what happened to the GDOSL TVL. And then, you know, if you're if you're another protocol in Solana and you kind of see this, it's like, oh, we should probably do this. It's kind of like an interesting marketing mechanism. Yeah, so you think it's more of a protocol founders looked at it and kind of implemented the playbook more aggressively versus like, hey, we're doing kind of more technically sophisticated point systems. Because I, I feel like if you yeah. look at the contracts and the code, the code is much more, you have to think through a lot more about reasoning about it than you do with, you know, your classic liquidity mining contracts. Wait, true. how many of these point systems are even on-chain? I thought most of them were off-chain. Most of them are off-chain, but they keep a lot of logic for like keeping track of actions that are done. Or like aggregating, or just like actions, logs, right? Because like in some sense, yeah. And and I feel like it, it's actually like going to be a much richer, you know. I think in twenty twenty four, we're likely to see this system evolve to be much richer than what we see in like the current liquidity mining universe. And so that that's sort of why I think, at least to me, I feel like there's something very interesting about the fact that it really took off on Solana. Like I feel like blur points sort of worked, but they attracted like three whales you know like they attracted the, <laughs> yeah. the a few small large nft players whereas the solana point system seems to have been much better at getting distribution and you know I, I, some of it feels technical some of it feels cultural so that's sort of where i was like where do you you know where where do you attribute that because because it, 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 yeah. can, i can kind of see both arguments for it yeah i mean i think I'm definitely in like the Solana bubble and I don't necessarily follow the ETH L1 and all the L2 protocols super closely. I think there's there's a lot of super legit teams building on Solana and there's a lot I think that are, you know, relatively new within like the past year or two. And I think that I don't know if that's necessarily the case for Ethereum and some of the L2s. Maybe 
I, c- I could definitely be wrong here. And so I feel like they are, there's a lot that are kind of in the same path that decided to launch points programs. And yeah, I mean, it's been super successful for a lot of protocols I've done it. So I think it's going to keep going for a while. Um, you're starting to see some of the Ethereum protocols that I mentioned earlier start to do it. So, Okay, let, let's take a step back again from Gito entirely, and let's talk about Solana. So you've been one of the great kind of outspoken emblems of the Solana community. And w- now that Solana is in the spotlight and it's gotten this incredible surge of activity and attention and excitement, um, I want to talk about you know one of the things that's going on in the public conversation, which is this back and forth between Ethereum shills, Solana shills, and like a, kind of the, the critiques and the strengths and the weaknesses of Solana and the Solana roadmap. So one yeah. of the things that a lot of people talk about uh, when they're firing pot shots at Solana and saying like, oh, what the, what, you know, why is Solana pumping so much? This is crazy. Is that uh, there's a claim that n- not that much has really changed on chain relative to where Solana was, call it three months ago, four months ago, when you know, Solana was uh, a fraction of, of what it's trading at today. Um, from your vantage point, where, where you're sitting in Gito, uh, w- what do you see in terms of what's changed in terms of on-chain activity from now to, let's say, four or five months ago? Yeah, there's been a ton of new activity on Solana. There's a lot of new capital. So if you look at the bridging patterns and things like that, there's a ton of new activity coming into the space. There's a ton of super high-quality projects that have been grinding basically since like the middle of last year. And, you know, I think a lot of what happened with all the FTX stuff that really sucked for everyone, but there's a lot of teams that kind of just kept grinding and building. Feels like those teams are finally like getting the recognition and adoption they deserve. I think there's a lot of people that were kind of, I think, skeptical to use Solana or that maybe they just weren't interested in it. You know, I got to like bridge, I got to go through some sex or go through a bridge and get money on here and there's not really that much to do. But I think uh, there's certainly a lot of group chats that I'm in where people are, people have been talking about Solana more, they've been trading more and are you know, using the applications a lot more. Um, there's just like a bunch of crazy stats. Like uh, it's like, there's like multi, like five or 6,000 tokens being minted every day. Um, there's a ton of new volume on chain. We're seeing... There's a lot more people trading on chain. There's a lot more MEV happening on chain. Uh, Gita is basically 50% of all the MEV tips have been captured in the past two and a half weeks. Or 50% of all Gito, Solana related MEV tips have been captured in the last two and a half weeks, 75% in the last four weeks. So there's like a ton of volume happening on chain. Um, wow. And, and so a lot of this, uh, a lot of this resurgence in trading has been these new Solana meme coins, if I understand it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's Bonk, which has been around since the beginning of the year, but it's kind of gone vertical over the last month. And there's been yeah. this just panoply. And there's also inscriptions now on Solana, I understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so things are kind of just going crazy. Can, can you talk us through like what you're seeing in terms of where the MEV is coming from? Is it mostly from meme coins and inscriptions and this kind of thing? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot around meme coins. Um, and even like, uh, just like normal trading, like Solana USDC and things like that. Um, there's a ton of arbitrage. There's people that are getting to like some of the longer tail MEV, um, like liquidity sniping and things like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, on Ethereum and other chains, I think MEV is pretty closely correlated to volume. That's probably the thing you can the most closely correlated with. And so you have a ton of new tokens popping up. Um, there's a ton of price discrepancies between all these tokens. The fees on Solana are a hundredth or a thousandth of a penny. So basically any trade that happens is going to produce an arbitrage. So you're seeing a lot of that right now. Uh, there's been a lot of like a lot of dApps that have, in like protocol developers that have been working pretty hard and they're starting to see more adoption. I think there's been a ton of changes to the Solana core protocol as well that I think if this were happening like two years ago or three years ago, like the chain would be struggling super hard. Um, so like introduction of Quick, um, there's a much better scheduler in place. There's priority fees. There's still a lot of work to do on all these things, but 
they're kind of like the the base building blocks are getting much better to where the chain can actually handle it without kind of dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, maybe a question or like something that that's you know I think there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about is like, um, you know, should the dominant form of value that gets generated in the Solana network come from MEV because transaction fees are low versus, you know, like there's kind of this philosophical divide of like MEV is actually parasitic to the security of a network or MEV is actually a very good source of revenue for the network. How, you know, where do you, yeah. where do you fall in that kind of dichotomy? And I, I know Haseeb probably also has some like. Well, so, but MEV on Solana through GTR, MEV doesn't get burned, right? MEV just gets distributed to stakers. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a few different forms of MEV on Solana happening. Um, one is like people people are still sending or using priority fees. I guess I don't know if you want to count priority fees as like MEV or not. You know, depends on who you are. But fifty percent of priority fees get burned. There's a ton of bots and users interacting with the chain, so those priority fees are getting burned. The system that uh, the Gita Solana validator client and that all that hooks up to. Um, it doesn't burn the MEV. So it basically collects the MEV and distributes it to validators and stakers. So there's not um, the main source of like any potential MEV burn would be from priority fees on Solana. I think um, one of the main themes in sort of the EVM ecosystem over the past, let's say, year and a half in the realm of MEV has not just been about sort of redistribution and, you know, Mev, Mev boost and, um, you know, relays and, uh, you know, different block builders. Um, but it's also been about MEV minimization and redesigning protocols, um, to reduce opportunities for MEV. That's things like, you know, intense or moves to RFQ systems for DEXs. Do you see a similar kind of trend in the Solana ecosystem or like, you know, how are people sort of re-architecting their, uh, dApps? Um, in Solana to reduce MEV given sort of the different constraints of uh, building on Solana? Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing that. I think it's catching up to Ethereum a lot. I think if you, like the most, one could argue the most valuable thing about Uniswap is the front end. Um, you know, they start charging the front end fee. I think, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I think, um, if you were, I'm guessing, maybe you guys know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I would say there's still a lot of people on Ethereum that probably aren't using aggregators. Maybe I'm wrong here. I think on Solana, there's Jupiter. And I would say majority of people use Jupiter. It's kind of like the one-inch equivalent. And so Jupiter, I think, will sw- it'll split your swap into... If you're swapping from like USDC to Sol, I think it has a limit of four or five swaps within that transaction. So it'll actually pull, and gas is so cheap. So it'll basically like pull from all these different DEXs. And so I think on that sense, like I think, you know, Jupiter is an amazing product. It's built anyone that adds some type of swap interface is going to uh, put that in their app, whether it's like any wallet or, you know, Phantom, Backpack, other wallets. Um, So I think on that sense, there's a lot being done. I think um, we're definitely still noticing some like slip ups from dapps and trying to reach out to them directly. There was a, uh, I'm not going to name the dap, but there was a dap that was allowing people to adjust their slippage, but they weren't showing users price impact. So people were selling tokens in the dap for and eating like a five or 10% uh, slippage, which was causing these like massive arbitrages. And we saw it on the graph and reach out to them. It's like, Hey, you guys need to do this. And they're like, Oh shoot. We need to push out like an emergency update. I think we're like starting to see it go towards the aggregator stuff. Um, I think the nice thing about Solana is that maybe RFQs, because it's so cheap, I think you can probably have more liquidity on chain and you don't necessarily need RFQs, um, but they do give you better pricing. Maybe they're like supplementary to on-chain liquidity or something. The, the interesting thing, going back to what Tarun was mentioning, is that right now, despite the explosion activity on Solana, fees on, a, on Solana are, are pretty limited, right? It seems like much more value is getting captured by MEV, which actually gets a, a share of the economic value um, that's being exchanged on Solana compared to the fees, which are more a function of how full are blocks. And because of Solana's enormous capacity, 
blocks are, my understanding would be that blocks are, blocks are not full. There's still plenty of capacity on Solana. Is that, is that more or less correct? And if so, how do you think about the economics of Sol as a token, given that yeah. so much of the value that's being captured by Solana as an ecosystem uh, is not actually getting, getting burned or, or affecting the supply of Sol, but rather just being paid out to validators uh, or, or to stake Sol? Yeah. And does that matter? There's a lot of good questions and answers in there. Um, yeah, right. So right now, the validators and stakers that are running Gita Solana are making roughly two and a half to three times more per block than non gito validators. Two and a half to three times more. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Um, yeah, so like on... And the, to, to be clear, that's like net of inflation. That's, inclu- that's not just two to three times more fees. It's two to three times more, including the block reward. Yeah, so that's that's. I'm just talking about the block reward here, and then it's kind of up to validators on how they want to distribute the MEV. Do they want to keep it all? Do they want to share it with their stakers? It's all kind of encoded on chain, and all the the tip programs and stuff like that handle it. So I think the, the average validator not running Gita is making around like uh, I think it's 0.01 sol per block. The ones that are running Gita are making 0.03. And they kind of distribute it to stakers as they want. Um, and they can choose 0% to 100%. I think that... That's incredible. There, there's a lot of... Um, there are a lot of full blocks right now. There's no dynamic base fee on Solana. Or like, there's not really... Um, like EIP-1559, it's good. No matter what you think about it, you know, some people love it, some people hate it. It's some type of economic back pressure on the system. And basically your transaction has 0% chance of getting scheduled if your uh, base fee is lower than the 1559 base fee. It's like, you know, you're going to, if you try to build a block with that, it's going to break consensus and, you know, it gets rejected or whatever. Um, Solana, there's static base fees and there's no, there's like priority fees, which work decently well. Um, but there's not really like a really good back pressure for a lot of transaction spam. Lucas, I thought on Solana there was like a global fee floor that like rose and fall based on um, utilization. Is that not correct? No. So it's uh, right now it's 5,000 land ports per signature. And then there are priority fees. And the scheduler will, will attempt to prioritize transactions based on the priority fee. Um, I think there, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement here, but essentially there's no dynamic base fee here or no floor. And I think this is um, <clears throat> it's a very heated topic in Solana right now. If Wait, you so hold on. So, okay, because <laughs> actually uh, about a year and a half ago, I think we had an episode about Solana where we were arguing yeah. pretty vociferously about Solana's fee market being broken. And this is before... I think what's called state-specific fees, where you have uh, fee, markets fee markets based on particular pieces of state, local fee markets. I think, yeah, that's yeah. what they're called. Um, where, you know, if you touch one contract or if you touch an address and that address is uh, particularly hot, meaning it's getting a lot of contention, a lot of people are trying to touch it, those, uh, the fees on those particular um, applications or addresses float and they may be higher than it would be touching a, a cold piece of state that not many people are contending over. Um, yeah. Those there, there is that local fee market such that if I'm touching Jupiter, for example, Jupiter's contracts are going to be hotter and, and that's going to be more expensive than if I'm touching some lesser used application, right? That does exist. It exists in the context of the scheduler, but it's not actually enforced in consensus. So if you are basically, uh, if you are a leader, you can... If you wanted to, this this wouldn't really make any sense, but you could basically pack a block full of low priority transactions. And it's kind of an implementation detail that's up to the validator. And it's per okay. state. But the per default piece of validator state. is going to do the logical thing and like maximize the total priority yeah. fees over the block, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, it, so in practice, we do have uh, these local fees that get enforced by the validators such that some, somebody touching a more expensive piece of state is going to pay more than somebody paying something cheaper. So there is kind some... Of. Uh, yeah. No. Okay, g- give me it, the details. It, it, give me the, help me understand. It gets a little tricky when you start looking at the current scheduler 
And the fact that you're streaming blocks as you're, uh, you're, you're producing a block throughout the entire slot. So um, you can imagine a world where like the validator, it had a super hot piece of state on the previous block. Does it get reset every block? Yeah, like there's no there's no minimum there's no dynamic floor that's enforced. So there's no persistence across blocks. Yeah. Of this was hot the last block, so we're going to keep it hot mm -hmm. in this. Yeah. Block. So there, there's no EIP fifteen fifty nine equivalent or um, however you want to call it. There's a lot of um, it's becoming more of a hot topic recently. Depending on who you talk huh. to, there's there's a few different proposals to fix this. One is the program, what is it? Program rebatable uh, account. Uh, whatever it's the name pro is. Or, <laughs> it's pro or, I don't know what it is, but uh, there's one okay. where it's like, oh, maybe the applications should control what the fees are per account. And then there's also, I think uh, people are finally getting over. Let, let, let me ask you this. Look, how do you <laughs> think fee markets should work on Solana? Yeah. Uh, I think that the ideally there's some EIP or like controller based account fee model where so like every the little account, EIP fifteen fifty nine per account yeah and each of them has their own little curve that's moving up and down it's, yeah so I think yeah like you can do like I think uh, Anatoly had a, a post or something that he wrote recently for like exponential moving averages where you kind of look at the the past end blocks and if it's above if it uses this many this much of the block space arises and if it falls off then it kind of goes down. I know uh Tarun's been like massively nerd sniped into looking at this. So I'm kind of curious what he has to say about it. Yeah, actually it's funny. I'm writing a blog post about this right now. So I, I have it fresh in context. So an interesting thing about yeah Solana's fee market is um, a, the block rewards actually are distributed for voting. Uh, it's not like the proposer gets the block rewards. And B, the main incentive to the proposer is the fees. So 50% are burned. Um, but then there's kind of this, yeah, there, there is this issue of, of persistence. But one question you might have is, I have a bunch of different local fee markets, right? So like maybe Tensor is, you know, is hot and Jupiter is hotter and Camino is less hot than than Jupiter. How do I decide whether these things should be increased in a correlated way or not? So I think a lot of the local fee market design, initial design was sort of, you could think of it as having been done looking at NFT mints that caused issues on the network, right? Where there's a single piece of state that 99% of demand is going to, but the rest of the state doesn't matter. And I think the thing where these base fee adjustments, these kind of floor adjustments help you with is when you have many parts of state that have increased demand and their demand is correlated to each other. So you need to kind of give a, a, a floor so that all, you know, those pieces that are correlated don't just take up all the block space immediately. Um, and so it sounds like you're imagining I, as kind of global fee level as well as these yeah, micro local exactly, fee markets exactly. and they're superimposed so, 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 on each other. And so, you know, there have been many proposals for this. People like me and others have, have written some academic research on this. But there's, there's sort of this idea of like you have global control plus local control and you have some way of synchronizing them over every block. Yeah. So there's sort of some global floor, but then there's also some local sort of like velocity, like how fast you increase the fee as a function of the amount of demand seen in that block and the previous block. And so you try to adjust the two of those such that you maximize some outcome like high throughput or you know minimum number of missed transactions um but another thing that i think is actually important and yeah disclosure jito investor so this is one of the things that made me most interested in jito in the beginning was they was that is that jito does sort of these state based auctions so unlike mev and ethereum where you know you're collecting all the MEV across all applications, putting it into a single block and then submitting the single block. Here you sort of can think of the auctions in Jito as happening on a per uh, per program or per state basis. Like if there's different, you know, uh, Uniswap style pools that are 
uh, getting different amounts of demand, you could almost think of like their MEV auctions run separately before they're merged. Um, and that allows you to have more efficient priority fees from MEV than this kind of fully aggregated version. And I think Solana actually is a little further, actually a lot further in, in having that running live. And Ethereum is kind of getting to that point. With all the L2s giving you like many different blocks, people are starting to realize they basically have to have some notion of like, you know, state dependent uh, MEV. And I think Solana kind of pushed the barrier in that a lot further due to necessity. And, you know, obviously Lucas knows this better than anyone else. Well, it, it seems like it's not just necessity. It's also that the design of Solana makes that a lot easier because of the fact that every transaction declares the state that it's touching in advance. In yeah. Ethereum, you don't do that, right? You, because everything is kind of uh, uh, at runtime, you can have a transaction that says, oh, I'm not touching uh, Uniswap. I'm actually an Aave transaction. Please schedule me at the top of the Aave auction. You win the Aave auction, but actually secretly, you're also doing some Uniswap arbitrage at the end. And you know it's hard to statically detect that. Is e EIP 2930, which is the optional access list, um, there's a lot yeah. of debate, almost as much debate in the Solana community over EIP-1559 style, like these kind of global controllers. In the Ethereum world, there's a lot of debate over these kind of like, if I can I add as almost a soft fork and access control list of like, hey, if you tell me which particular state you're touching, like you're a roll up, I'm only going to touch like these particular accounts, I can schedule you more efficiently. Um, and so we're we're actually right. starting to see some of that happen because of rollups, because they're kind of inefficient, you know, s storage usage sometimes, or the costs are are sort of like inefficiently being allocated. And I I think I suspect my my prediction is that the Ethereum model with many L2s will actually start to look more like the Solana model over time, where you you actually I think in do terms of the have MEV auctions. In the, in the MEV auctions, yes. I mean, stateless clients have been a story in Ethereum since forever. They're so, I mean, they're so far from ever actually getting shipped. But in a stateless client world, that would be true for Ethereum as well, that a transaction needs to specify what state it's touching, and then you can kind of say, great, we're going we're gonna to cordon off people touching this state versus people touching that state. The difference, of course, in Ethereum is that there is no parallelism in Ethereum, meaning that even if you're not touching the same contracts, Ultimately, Ethereum and the EVM require a strict ordering. So it always has to be transaction one, then transaction two, then transaction three, even if the transactions don't uh, interact with each other, because there are just these bottlenecks in Ethereum, like these resources that every single transaction touches. Um, one question that I have that I've seen many people kind of getting into Twitter arguments and you know Telegram chats and all this stuff, uh, a, a lot of the Ethereum... Or I should say, a lot of the Solana people will say, well, look, Solana right now, you know, we've got like the four uh, compute unit cores or whatever they're called, uh, but we're going to scale it up over time to like 16, then 32, then 64, and then, you know, whatever. It's just going to go to infinity, and it's going to be arbitrary levels of parallelism in Solana land, such that there's no limit to scaling Solana uh, uh, performance. And my natural thought is always, surely there is some bottleneck somewhere. Um, in Solana, that is like some kind of global, uh, so, some kind of global state somewhere that's getting touched when people are doing things on Solana. Um, my question is, where is is that true? And if so, where is it? Like, what is that global bottleneck that stops Solana right now from scaling to sixty four cores or one hundred twenty eight cores or, or whatever it is that people are imagining Solana is going to scale to? Yeah, um, I think that. I don't know if I've seen people saying that it's going to scale infinitely. I think there's definitely people that are saying it can scale a lot more. And I think there's a ton of there's a ton of scheduler changes that I think will make it better. Um I think there's a lot of room for improvement in the actual replay as well. Um so like a few months ago I wrote a better replay algorithm. Um it sped it up like 50% or 100%. I was kind of sh scared to ship it to prod. But uh, it definitely, you know, used less compute, ran faster. I think there's just like a lot of these tweaks. As far as like the actual limit, I think this is probably where some, the thing that Tarun was talking about earlier, where you have this, you have these like per account limits 
And then you kind of have this like global limit floor that kind of rises. And I think you can take into, in that global limit, you can kind of take a lot of different things into account. So maybe the global limit includes uh, like what is the, what's like the max throughput that we're trying to target for packets on the network. Basically how, how big are the transactions in bytes and how much, how much throughput and like uh, how much bandwidth is it require to spit that those transactions out and process them to like how much, uh, how much account state was loaded and stored in that block. Um, so I, I guess like, I don't know what the current limit is. It's probably like memory or memory speed or something, but I think that's something that you can kind of, uh, when there's a better fee model on Solana, I think it's something that's adjustable and you can kind of find where that global limit is and use that for that global limit floor in addition to these separate kind of bucketed fee markets. What, what okay, maybe let me ask the question a different way. What are the hard lines for Solana? In Ethereum, the hard line is that you have to be able to validate Ethereum on a laptop, right? That's like the that's like the ideological center that Ethereum uses as a constraint yeah. when thinking about throughput. Uh, if you look at Binance Smart Chain, Binance Smart Chain, their hard line, as far as I understand, is that uh, you have to be able to sync the chain. And uh, there was a time when Binance Smart Chain <laughs> was running at like, I think, 25 million gas per second. Yeah. And that was just so much that literally even like enterprise uh, type validators who had you know huge boxes and were, and were running the stuff as fast as they could, they just could not sync to the state of the chain. And so they lowered the total gas throughput to about a third of that so that okay. new people who are joining the chain could actually catch up to the tip. Um, but that's about it. Basically, as long as people can sync, I don't really care. I, as, as much as I can get out of like this kind of you know, souped up uh, uh, throttle to 11 EVM chain, that's what I'm going for with, with Binance Smart Chain. Yeah. How does Solana think about that? Is there a hard line on Solana of what we will and will not do in order to get a faster, higher performance chain? What is, the, what is the binding constraint beyond just what can we get out of raw hardware? Yeah, I don't want to speak for like Solana Labs here. I guess my, or like the foundation or anyone, I think um, currently the, the hard limit is like 48 million compute units. It's kind of a proxy for a lot of different things here. And on Ethereum, I guess, you know, there's a 21 million gas per block I don't really know how all the things influence how all the different things that transactions are doing and block validation and whatnot fits into that. But um, you know, I, I guess that maybe that's something you could view or people if they it's like gas per second or something where it's like 21 million gas and then you have 12 second block times and there's a bunch of signature verification and whatnot happening. On Solana, it's 48 million compute units. I feel like on Solana, it's probably um, basically like what is the what's the lowest barrier to where sixty six percent sixty six point six percent of the chain can keep up. So how fast can we go such that sixty six percent of stake can keep up? Ideally, one hundred percent. Some people they call them potatoes on Solana. There's a lot of validators that are running potatoes. I guess for context, our our servers are uh, we're uh, we're running we're probably running at like twenty or thirty percent compute usage right now. So there, I think there's there's a lot of space and room to speed that up, and there's also a lot of extra bandwidth that we can use as well. I, actually, I just want to add one kind of thing to your question, Hasib, which is like I kind of view the. Uh, you know, the Ethereum model and the Solana model when you're talking about scaling compute, like, hey, we have a lot more parallelism in synchrony. As just different programming models for parallelism, like, in some sense, right, you know there are limits to how fast particular algorithms can run when in parallel versus serial, and you can't improve them beyond that amount. Um, and there's a set, however, how you represent your parallel computation impacts how easy it is to actually achieve whatever scale you want, right? Like if you want the algorithm to run 10x faster, well, one form of parallelism 
uh, might work better than another form. And what I mean by that is like, you know, something like NVIDIA's CUDA works well for linear algebra parallelism because that's just like what it's designed for. But it works bad for, say, sorting a list, right? It's, it's sort of inefficient at doing certain things like that or things that have recursion. And I think in general, you should view the Ethereum form of parallelism of we have these multiple units that are uh, running separate computation, but infrequently synchronized with each other versus the Solana version where actually they have a shared memory map or they have some shared context that they have to keep in locally at all times um, as two different programming models. And some algorithms will be much easier for one and some algorithms will be much easier for the other. And there'll be some that don't work on both, right? And, you know, the history of parallel computing has had this happen, whether it's things like MPI in the 80s, things like CUDA now. Um, and this this general idea that like the way you represent how you parallelize your computation dictates what applications work well on it, I think is going to be just the truth for blockchains for the next few years. But uh, I, I think that's like, that's maybe one of the reasons it's also hard to compare these things apples to apples. Yeah, I think that that that, that certainly makes sense. Um, all right, I, I know we're running up on time. Um, so I wanted to just kind of close out Lucas with, uh, I guess, getting a little bit more of the, the kind of felt experience of what it's been like for you personally. So, and just what it's been like for people in the Solana community. So Solana, you know, you guys have really been through the Valley of Darkness with the collapse of FTX, you know, Solana going all the way down to $8. And now you've had this kind of euphoric coming back into the light. Solana now uh, surging to be number four on CoinMarketCap, you know, over a hundred bucks. Everybody's super in the money. Gito has been super successful. Um, how does it feel being part of that cohort where you guys, you know, you guys are really toiling in, in this... Um, this, this environment where everybody kind of left Solana for dead. And uh, what does it feel like now being on the other side of that? Do you have time to really rejoice? Do you like feel like, yo, guys, we made it. Like we were right. We, we believed when no one else believed. Or is it just like everything's happening so fast, you're just trying to keep up with it? What, is it, what does it feel like <laughs> within, from yeah. the Solana OGs right now? Uh, I would say all of the above for sure. I mean, I think last year at Breakpoint, Super exciting. Um, the Judo stake pool was launched. The Judo Solana Validator client. Um, I think it was at the Judo Solana Validator client was at like 3% of stake. And to like FTX happening. Um, and like a lot of, a was lot like of people a couple were leaving. Weeks after, before FTX was breakpoint, right? Or was it after FTX? Uh, no, it was, on the, it was on the plane. It was on the plane ride home that the rumor of Binance buying FTX was oh, wow. like popping up on people's phones and Twitter. And I remember the, the internet was super spotty and everyone just like keeps trying to refresh Twitter to like get their, <laughs> uh, get the newest news. Um, so yeah, it was pretty stressful. Um, there's definitely a period there where it's like, you know, you, you're doubling down, but also like questioning yourself, like, is this like worth it? But um, I think like, a lot of teams just kept building and I think you Solana is just, it, it's so much bigger than FTX. Like I think people associate the two so closely, but if you actually like, like do people actually know like the Solana core engineers, like there's a lot of really smart people there. There's a lot of really smart teams and I think everyone kind of bonded together. And I think the last, like certainly the last few months and then the last three weeks is it's like, some sense of like excitement, pride, maybe like a little vindication for people that like made fun of Solana the entire, like basically the last year. Um, I think there's also like a lot of, there's a lot of excitement and hunger. I think there's still a lot to build and a lot to do. And I think a lot of people are kind of soaking it in and like making sure that they keep their servers running and things are going smoothly and all that. But also, like, you know, the, the things we're just getting started here and there's still a lot to prove. There's a lot to build, um, a lot of like users and marketing and things like that to keep people onboarding. So I think, um, you know, definitely nice to like soak it in and 
kind of reminisce on like how crazy last year has been and how stressful, but I think there's also uh, a lot of opportunity and a lot of excitement. And I think there, a lot of people feel like that on Solana right now. That's great. Well, it's, um, it's awesome to see uh, that you guys getting to, to see the fruits of your labor and getting vindicated for having believed in something at a time when few other people did. And I think there's a, there's a lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Any advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about building in this environment that you've learned from, from your experience going through you know, the, 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 the peak, the trough, and then back to the peak again? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think you have, to, you have to be confident in the choices you're making and make sure that you have that you you have a right team to support you and you have supporters there um i think anyone that's an entrepreneur is like kind of like messed up in the head a little bit especially in this industry and i think having a good team on your on your side definitely helps a lot i think also making sure you're um i think there's a lot there's a lot of value in staying focused on the right thing there's a lot of um especially when prices start going up. I think it's really easy to get distracted or try to catch the end of trends and kind of like miss miss the trends and you're kind of always chasing. And I think it's really important to kind of figure out how you are going to kind of attack something and grow and stay f- super focused on that. And I think, uh, yeah, those, those things are definitely super important as an entrepreneur. Well, the Solano ecosystem is very lucky to have you and uh, congrats on all the success and hope to see more of what GTO becomes as you guys uh, keep evolving alongside Solana. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. And congrats to you as well, Tarun, for having invested in GTO. I guess you two are the, you two two both deserve all the success you've had. Uh, It's really Lucas who deserves all the success. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. All right, well, we got to wrap. Lucas, thanks for coming on. And uh, until then, I guess this is the last episode for the year. We'll be back next week. And um, hopefully more craziness uh, will will come of our, our, our way by then. I think the thing that's needed is Hasib with hat. That's, that's the <laughs> meme coin that you really need. <laughs> is that right? All right. Good to, good, good to know. Good to know. We can sponsor that for next year. And then and we also got to, at the end of the year, we got to go back for our PayPal bet. So that's going to, next episode, we'll adjudicate how the PayPal bet played out. Um, anyway, we got to wrap. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.